Before we get started with this episode, I want to let you know that this is the second in a two-part episode on Christmas Evans. Listening to the prior episode first is recommended. And thank you for listening to Forgotten. Christmas Day in 1792 was unusually cold. Wet winds from the sea whipped across the rolling hills of the Isle of Anglesey in northern Wales. The roads were rough and covered with snow. But the move of Christmas Evans with his new bride Catherine from the Lynn community to the small hamlet of Hogadwin was not arduous because they had but little of worldly goods to carry with them. As they crossed the crest of the hill, they could see the lonely, aged chapel and nearby manse, which looked inviting from a distance. Any kind of shelter from the wind and cold would have been greatly appreciated. But as they drew near, they found the small one-room hovel of a pastor's dwelling to be in terribly dilapidated condition and was not as inviting as they had hoped. The bottom of the front door of their new home had rotted away, and only a rudely cobbled piece of tin nailed across the bottom of the door kept out the large vermin. The cottage itself was connected to a small stable by a thin wall, while the low thatched roof was a constant nuisance to the over six foot tall preacher. Yet for this happy couple, whatever tinge of the slightest disappointment was short-lived. They immediately warmed their new abode with not only a crackling fire upon the hearth, but the warmth of their devotion to each other and their passionate love for their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm Ronnie Brown, and this is Forgotten. After the explosive sermon Christmas Evans preached at the Baptist Association in Linelli, he returned to Lynn, but not for very long. Not long after arriving, an appeal came for Evans to come pastor several churches on the Isle of Anglesey in northern Wales. So on Christmas Day, his 26th birthday, 1792, he and his wife, which he had married from the Lynn community, left for the small hamlet of Hagedwin. He was promised an annual salary of 17 pounds, a meager sum even for his time. From his account, the journey was, quote, a very rough day of frost and snow, end quote. They eventually arrived to the pastor's manse that was greatly in disrepair. But it is here that Christmas and Catherine would pass the next 30 plus years of their lives in simple, happy domesticity. It seems as though this pastor and his wife effortlessly bore their impoverished state without the least complaint about it or any effort to disguise it. They, no doubt, took to heart the example of the Apostle Paul, quote, 
I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content, end quote. In general, the people of the Isle of Anglesey were known for Bible illiteracy, drunkenness, Sabbath breaking, and smuggling. A well-known preacher from 50 years before, Howell Harris, called it, quote, the most heathen part of Wales, end quote. The state of the Baptist churches there were described as, quote, lukewarm and faint, end quote. What little energy they revealed was spent in heated arguments over controversial theological issues of the day, which was characteristically common for the Baptists of the northern region of Wales. Matters were not helped by the open disgrace left by the previous pastor, which damaged the reputation of these communities and subjected them to scorn. Christmas Evans leapt into the exercise of his calling with vigor. The primary focus of his agenda was calling all ten of the variously located preaching stations to prayer and fasting. He preached with an illumination of heart and fire in his soul. His preaching was described, quote, like the fiery volcano of Vesuvius, pouring the lava of his own eloquence in a torrent of liquid fire on the heads of his hearers. He spoke with the whirlwind and the storm, with words that broke rocks into pieces, his one eye flashing as his whole being was stirred to the depths by the truths he uttered. And his hearers dissolved by the Spirit's presence were carried away to the gate of heaven, end quote. His preaching was vivid in description, capturing the minds of his hearers. Once when preaching in an open field before thousands at another associational meeting, he described the prodigal son in such rich detail, wearing rags so rotten and tattered that they were not worth washing or mending, and shoes so worn that they were good for nothing but refuse. With a glint in his single eye, he gazed upon the distant hill and pointed a finger saying, quote, Look, there he comes, end quote. Thousands of his hearers turned their heads, fully expecting to see the haggard young man plodding down the mount. Evans became known as the John Bunyan of Wales. The early effect of his love for Pilgrim's progress, coupled with the influence of Robert Roberts, a weak and sickly pastor in the Lynn region who had extraordinary gifts of oratory, helped Evans to hone a gift for bringing the text of Scripture alive through allegory. One of the most prominent examples is taken from a sermon on the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Christmas preached, quote, Saul of Tarsus was once a thriving merchant and an extensive shipowner. He had seven vessels of his own, the names of which were, one, circumcised the eighth day, two, of the stock of Israel, three, of the tribe of Benjamin, four, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, five, as touching the law of Pharisee, six, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. The seventh was a man of war, with which he one day set out from the port of Jerusalem, well supplied with ammunition from the arsenal of the chief priest, with a view to destroy a small port at Damascus. He was wonderfully confident 
and breathed out threatenings and slaughter. But he had not got far from port before the gospel ship, with Jesus Christ as commander on board, came slowly into view, and threw such a shell among the merchant's fleet that all his ships were instantly on fire. The commotion was tremendous, and there was such a volume of smoke Paul could not see the sun at noon. While the ships were fast sinking, the gospel commander mercifully gave orders that the perishing merchant should be taken on board. Saul, Saul, what has become of all thy ships? They are all on fire. What wilt thou do now? Oh, that I might be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. End quote. With these gifts, along with a mighty prayer life that assured the touch of God upon his efforts, he set those ten existing preaching stations of Anglesey on fire of God. Quote, In two years, said biographer Reverend Paxton Hood, his ten preaching places increased to twenty, and over six hundred converts were added to the churches. End quote. With this explosion in church growth, came the need for more chapels. The economic disparity between the northern area of Wales versus the southern was vast. The northern people were much more impoverished than the more profitable southern region. For these chapels to be built, Evan knew he needed the help of churches in the south. This drove him to make what became known as, quote, begging tours, end quote, of the southern region of Wales. Christmas Evans, whether on foot or on his old nag named Lemon, would travel from town to town, preaching two or three times at a stop, asking for the support of chapels in the north. He was so popular on these begging tours that people would follow along with him from village to village to hear him preach again and again. Wherever he went, droves were saved, churches were filled, and a spirit of reviving followed. Over the course of his lifetime, he made some 40 trips crisscrossing the countryside of Wales, trumpeting the gospel call. But around 1797, a dark cloud overshadowed the ministry of Christmas Evans. Sandemanianism was a heretical teaching that surfaced in Scotland during the 18th century, finding its roots in the Church of Scotland before influencing the Scottish Baptists. Named for one of its most ardent proponents, Robert Sandeman, at its core, this belief system reduced faith to a mere intellectual acknowledgement, contending that faith is nothing more than recognizing the Word of God as true, somewhat of a super-hyper-Calvinism. Notably absent in this perspective is any sense of Holy Spirit conviction over one's own sin or the insistent call for individual repentance or even the necessity 
of personal trust in the atoning work of Christ for the forgiveness of sin. The Sandemanians were known for a desire to return the church to apostolic simplicity, embracing practices such as weekly communion, foot washing, the kiss of peace, and the love feast. On its face, the attraction was its call back to the essence of the early Church of the Apostles. However, its ritualistic approach morphed into harsh sectarian prerequisites of fellowship, fostering a divisive exclusivity among their ranks, not to mention its absence of essential personal faith in Christ. Christmas Evans fell prey to the teaching. Of this time, he wrote, quote, The Sandemanian heresy affected me so far as to quench the spirit of prayer for the conversion of sinners, and it induced in my mind a greater regard for the smallest things of the kingdom of heaven than for the greater. I lost the strength which clothed my mind with zeal, confidence, and earnestness in the pulpit for the conversion of souls to Christ. My heart retrograded in a manner, and I could not realize the testimony of a good conscience. Sabbath nights, after having been in the day exposing and vilifying with all bitterness the errors that prevailed, my conscience felt as if displeased and reproached me that I had lost nearness to and walking with God. It would intimate that something exceedingly precious was now wanting in me. I would reply that I was acting in obedience to the word, but it continued to accuse me of want of some precious article. I had been robbed to a great degree of the spirit of prayer and of the spirit of preaching, end quote. Evans continued in this state a fierce persistence in a doctrine that slowly choked the life of the churches of Anglesey for five years, from 1797 to 1802. Over time, the once vast congregations dwindled away, church doors inevitably closed, and the once potent influence of the Baptists waned. In the void left behind, other denominations reaped the remnants of disbanded congregations. Internal discord among the remaining members further deepened the fractures within the once thriving community. Sunday school initiatives failed, and the endeavors of mission work bore the brunt of this decline, languishing in the aftermath of the doctrinal error. Evans wrote, quote, We lost in Anglesey nearly all those who were accustomed to attend with us. Some of them joined other congregations, and in this way, it pulled down nearly all that had been built up in 12 or 15 years and made us appear once again a mean and despicable party in the view of the country. The same effects followed it in a greater or lesser degree in the other counties, end quote. But a gracious God began to prompt the heart of the great preacher through a tract by Andrew Fuller exposing the fallacies of the teaching. Then, upon hearing a sermon condemning the teaching by Thomas Jones, a northern pastor who withstood the onslaught of the heresy's popularity, 
where he so eloquently showed by the word of God the damage to the gospel of Jesus Christ the heresy had brought upon the churches of the region. Christmas Evans gave serious pause. Reflecting on the sermon during his journey home, it seems that Sandemanianism's hold upon his heart and conscience was broken. He writes of the experience, quote, I was weary of a cold heart towards Christ and his sacrifice and the work of his spirit, of a cold heart in the pulpit, in secret prayer, and in study. For 15 years previously, I had felt my heart burning within as if going to Emmaus with Jesus. On a day ever to be remembered by me as I was going from Dagelilai to Mackensleth and climbing upwards to Karer Adris, I considered it to be incumbent upon me to pray. However hard I felt my heart, and however worldly the frame of my spirit was. Having begun in the name of Jesus, I soon felt as if it were the fetters loosening and the old hardness of heart softening, and, as I thought, mountains of frost and snow dissolving and melting within me. This engendered confidence in my soul in the promise of the Holy Ghost. I felt my whole mind relieved from some great bondage, Tears flowed copiously, and I was constrained to cry out for the gracious visits of God by restoring to my soul the joy of his salvation and that he would visit the churches in Anglesey that were under my care. I embraced in my supplications all the churches of the saints and nearly all the ministers in the principality by their names. This struggle lasted for three hours. It rose again and again like one wave after another or a high-flowing tide driven by strong wind until my nature became faint by weeping and crying. Thus I resigned myself to Christ, body and soul, gifts and labors all my life, every day and every hour that remained for me. And all my cares I committed to Christ. Thus the Lord delivered me and the people of Anglesey from being carried away by the flood of Sandemanianism. In the first religious meetings after this, I felt as if I had been removed from the cold, sterile regions of spiritual frost into the verdant fields of the divine promises. The former strivings with God in prayer and the longing anxiety for the conversion of sinners which I had experienced in Lynn was now restored. I had a hold of the promises of God. The result was when I returned home, the first thing that arrested my attention was that spirit was working also in the brethren of Anglesey, inducing in them a spirit of prayer, especially in two of the deacons who were particularly importunate that God would visit us in mercy and render the word of his grace effectual amongst us in the conversion of sinners, end quote. On this solemn occasion, Christmas Evans, quote, under a deep sense of the evil of his heart and in dependence upon the infinite grace and mercy of the Redeemer, entered into a covenant with God. Found among his notes was the 18-point treatise. Time will not permit for its entire reading, but its fifth solemn plea stands out 
to give the spirit of the whole. Five, O Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, take for the sake of thy cruel death my time and strength and gifts and talents I possess, which with a full purpose of heart I consecrate to the glory and the building up of thy church in the world, for thou art worthy of the hearts and talents of all men. Amen. C.E. Christmas Evans. With this commitment in heart and mind, Evans sought to reestablish the work of God in Anglesey. Infused with a renewed spiritual vigor, he toiled with intensity, and God once again breathed life into his efforts with unique and extraordinary blessings. The cycle of his ministry among the people of Anglesey returned. Souls were being saved at preaching stations. Gatherings of believers needed chapels. Funds for the chapels were gathered by Evans through his begging tours. The work of God continued, and the notoriety of the one-eyed preacher from the north only grew. In 1823, his beloved and devoted wife, Catherine, passed away, and by 1826, he had decided to leave Anglesey. There were many and varied reasons for this move. Suffice to say that it was not amiable. A power struggle had developed among the burgeoning churches in Anglesey, and Christmas Evans' weighty influence was seen as an obstruction to their progress. A Mr. William Morgan, who witnessed the departure, said, quote, It was an affecting sight to see the aged man who had labored so long with such happy effects leaving the sphere of his exertions under these circumstances, having labored so much to pay for their meeting houses, having performed so many journeys to South Wales for their benefit, having served them so diligently in the island, and passed through so many dangers. Now some of the people withheld their contributions to avenge themselves on their own father in the gospel. Others, while professing to be friends, did little more." End quote. He left as penniless as he had arrived 34 years ago. As Providence would have it, an invitation came to pastor a small Baptist church in Kerfilly in Glamorganshire in southern Wales. The report of his acceptance gripped the town with excited anticipation. It is said that the community would be heard saying to each other, quote, Christmas is coming, Christmas is coming, end quote. But on the 200-mile journey, Christmas had much to reflect upon. The resentment and hurt blanketed his spirit like a cold frost. Once again, he resorted to a retreat of prayer to wrestle with God over his soul's condition. With pleadings of heart, he poured out his bitterness before the Lord. In the end, as in times before, refreshing from the Lord came. His heart was melted and his mind committed to the purpose of his calling. In this sublime moment, he renewed his covenant with God afresh and anew. A spirit of rejoicing and thanksgiving overtook his soul as anxieties and fears 
for the future ahead melted away. He came into Kerfili with a revived heart, and it was not long before the Spirit of God poured out those same reviving influences on the churches as well. During his brief stay of two years at Kerfili, Evans saw the church revived and numerous souls saved. He writes, quote, I never spent a short time in greater comfort, for the ark of God had appeared there, and the harps of 140 souls had been tuned to the song of redemption, end quote. While he was there, Christmas was remarried to an old acquaintance from the north, Miss Mary Evans. They were wed in the very chapel George Whitfield was married some 85 years before. In the aftermath of this revival, or conceivably due to its very occurrence, the church was entangled in some controversy. Yet again, it was a dispute over leadership in the church. In years gone by, pastoral oversight was lacking and church deacons assumed control. When faced with the leadership of Evans, they were reluctant to relinquish it. The aged Christmas Evans, unwilling to fight such a battle, came to the reluctant realization that departure was his only recourse. During this time, a door was opened to come further south to the city of Cardiff. Now in his 63rd year of life, we find Christmas Evans seeking God's face for direction in earnest prayer. Entering once again into a covenant with God, the first and second statements read as follows. Quote, 1. Grant me the great favor of being led by thee, according to thy will, by the directions of thy providence and word, and the disposing of my own mind by thy spirit, for the sake of thine infinitely precious blood. Amen. C.E. 2. Grant, if I am to leave Kerfili, that the gale of the Spirit's influence and religious revival I had there may follow me to Cardiff, for the sake of thy great name. Amen. C.E. End quote. Christmas Evans did leave for Cardiff, and while there, saw a modest growth to the church. In his four years at Cardiff, he saw some 80 souls saved and added to the church. While there, he enjoyed good fellowship with other ministers, and despite being nearly blind, prepared 200 of his sermons for publication. But during this time, calls from the north began to be frequent calls to return to the churches in Anglesey. Finally, in 1832, he accepted a call to pastor in Carnarvon, a coastal town on the northern shore of Wales, but within eyesight of the Isle of Anglesey. church at Carnarvon was in debt and deeply divided by the Sandemanianism controversy. He approached the ministry equally as passionate as he did in Kerfili and Cardiff. Crowds came in droves to hear the aged Welshman declare the riches of Christ. Chapels were so filled 
that windows were open so the scores of people that surrounded the church could hear Christmas Evans preach. But despite his popularity, there was little harvest. In a sense, he was somewhat starting over in Anglesey, resorted to planting seed that, unlike the years before, would be harvested by someone else. But reflecting on this time, he wrote in his journal, quote, I have been thinking of the great goodness of the Lord unto me throughout my unworthy ministry. And now, in my old age, I see the work prospering wonderfully in my hand so that there is a reason to think that I am in some degree a blessing to the church when I might have been a burden to it or rather a curse by which she might have been induced to wish me laid in the earth that I might no longer prevent the progress of the work. Thanks be to God that it is not so, though I deserve no better, yet I am in the land of mercy." End quote. With the crippling debt of 300 pounds still owed on the chapel at Carnarvon, and with creditors threatening, Evans set out on one last begging tour. Before leaving out, in a plea for prayer and financial support, he published a letter in the Welsh magazine, the last line of which ends with these words, quote, This is my last sacrifice for the Redeemer's cause, end quote. It indeed would be. He was gladly received at every church along the way. It could be reckoned that his popularity was at its apex. One biographer wrote, quote, Wherever he preached, the place was thronged at an early hour, and frequently multitudes remained outside unable to obtain admittance, end quote. At a memorable stop at Monmouthshire, he preached at the county association meeting before hundreds in the open air. Onlookers said that, quote, the sermon exhibited all his vigor of intellect and splendor of genius and as perfect a command over the feelings of the great audience as ever, end quote. But the exertion was too much for the tired preacher and he was held over to recuperate. After a week, he, with his wife and a young preacher, John Hughes, pushed on to Kerfilly, Cardiff, Cowbridge, Bridgend, and Neath, preaching on several occasions at each town. Finally, he reached Swansea on Saturday, July the 14th. On the Lord's Day, he preached on the prodigal son out of Luke 15. Then, in the evening, he preached out of Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The following day, he preached in English at Mount Pleasant Chapel from the text Luke 24.47, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Christmas Evans preached, quote, At Jerusalem, Lord? Yes. Why, Lord, these are the men who crucified thee. We are not to preach to them. Yes, preach it to all. To the man who plaited the crown of thorns and placed it on thy head? 
Yes, tell him that from my degradation he may obtain a crown of glory. Suppose we meet the very man that nailed thy hands and feet to the cross, the very man that pierced thy side, that spat in thy face. Preach the gospel to them all. Tell them all that I am the Savior, that all are welcome to participate in the blessings of my salvation. I am the same Lord over all and rich unto all that call on me. End quote. As he descended the stairs from the pulpit, he was heard to say clearly, quote, This is my last sermon. End quote. Taken ill that very night, he slept through the following day. His condition worsened the day after. He made slight improvement on Thursday, but only to fall gravely ill that night. In the wee hours of the morning, surrounded by his wife and a few fellow ministers, he said, quote, I am leaving you. I have labored in the sanctuary 53 years, and this is my comfort that I have never labored without blood in the basin, end quote. The indication meaning that he had never failed to preach the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. He exhorted his brethren, quote, preach Christ to the people, brethren. Look at me. In myself, I am nothing but ruin. But in Christ, I am heaven and salvation, end quote. Moments later, in sighs of labored breath, he recited a single verse from one of his most cherished Welsh hymns. Then, with a wave of his hand, in the words, quote, wheel about, coachman, and drive home, end quote, he turned to one side as if to sleep and was never roused from his slumber. The hymn he recited in his final moment roughly translated into English, reads, This the robe so bright and glorious, o'er my naked spirit thrown, so that I no longer tremble to appear before thy throne. of Christmas Evans stands as a powerful reminder that God uses damaged and broken people, people with all the limitations and frailties that disqualify them for divine usage from men's perspective are but invitations for God to do an astonishing work across the stage of time. Christmas Evans was wrong on many occasions but allowed the word of God to correct his course. He examples before us the ebb and flow of the Christian experience, times of dry, barren wasteland where God seems a thousand miles away, and times of deluge from heaven where we find ourselves awash in reviving influences. There is a God in heaven that inclines his ear to the cries of his children. He hears not only the woodland prayer of the one-eyed preacher from Anglesey, 
but he hears the bedroom prayer of the single mother for strength to guide her children, as well as the desperate cry from the pastor's study for awakening among his flock. The question is, do we seek him? Do we search him out? God's accusation to the people of Israel in Jeremiah's day was, quote, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They chose that which they made with their hands, that which they could control, the putrid stale waters captured by a hole in the ground and refused the clear, constant flowing refreshment of living waters. Christmas Evans chose to seek out the living waters and shows us that the promise of Isaiah 44.3 is true. For I will pour water on them that are thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. Forgotten is an Unseen Hand media production written and produced by me, Ronnie Brown. You can find out more about this show at ForgottenPodcast.com. I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Forgotten Podcast. Forgotten is available on all the most popular podcasting apps, so be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And remember, if these stories teach us anything, it is this, that God is in control, that grace is more than enough, and that Jesus is our only hope.